When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and you're listening to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast all about giving you simple and sustainable strategies to help you live your happiest, healthiest, and most peaceful life. In today's podcast, I'm interviewing, oh, I have a great conversation actually with Cara Lowenthal, a social justice lawyer and master coach and host of the excellent mental health podcast, Unf Your Brain. We talk about how to identify and change established patterns of thinking that halt our progress and how to integrate nervous system work and cognitive work because they aren't opposite, they are integrated. And we talk about so much more. But just before we begin, I want to remind you that you can listen to exclusive ad-free content on Patreon. This month's bonus episode is all about how to wire out any harmful effects from COVID and long COVID. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Dr. Lee for more info. The link will be in the show notes. And as always, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please always consult with your personal physician or appropriate medical personnel for medical issues. Back to today's podcast. Cara, it's so nice to have you back on the podcast. We were just like getting going there before we'd even started. And I was like, we better start the podcast because you're already saying amazing things. And we were like, I here's love- 10 things we could talk about. We're off to the races. Exactly. We already had the podcast before the podcast kind of thing. So let's backtrack then and, and welcome back to my show. And Cara, can you just quickly briefly introduce yourself to those? Most people know you, but just in case. And, yeah. and we'll dive into some great topics. Yeah, it's great to be back. I love when we get to chat. I'm Cara Lowenthal. I'm the host of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, which is pretty self-explanatory given the name. And I am a former social justice lawyer, which I mentioned because we're going to be talking some about the kind of internal, external and thought work and changing the world. So I'm a former women's rights and reproductive rights attorney who became a coach. And I call myself a feminist mindset coach. But really what that means is I teach women how to identify how socialization has impacted their brains and then how to rewire most their mostly cognitive processes to change the way that they think about themselves so that they can both enjoy their own lives and develop better relationships with themselves and also do whatever work it is they want to do in the world. But I think the thing that sets my work apart is sort of looking at what are the social messages we've received? How do those show up in our own thinking? How do we metabolize them so they sound like they're our own voice or they're just accurate observations of ourselves? And then how do we shift those bit by bit to actually change our thoughts about ourselves. Because my experience when I came to this work was that there's a lot of talking about how we could all like love ourselves or like ourselves or be our own best friend or whatever. And like basically zero explanation of how to do that in, in the coaching world, the way I found it. So that's who I am. I love it. And it's such a great angle that you come from and you're so right. I mean, it's one of the things we discussed before we started was, you know, we, there's so much focus on all the things that can go wrong in our life and what we should be doing about ourselves. But how do we actually make those shifts? What are the practical steps? What does it look like? And also the whole concept of it's not just about me, it's about me in the world. You know, and so we've got to play that forward. And, and the research I've done has really shown that if you are going to become self-preoccupied in the attempt to make yourself great, you're going to act, it's counterproductive. So it mm-hmm. is working on yourself, but it's working on yourself with the intent of understanding the impact that you bring to the world and that you have on the world. And then mm-hmm. the hu- sort of humanizing of it and the whole link between mind, brain, body. So we're going to dive into a few of those topics today. But, you know, let's start with something right off the, off the top. You actually put up a post today. There was today's post. Oh, yeah, this. What would happen if we stopped looking outside ourselves to be secure and emphatically decided to root for our damn selves? And then that oh, was yeah, a post from by my coach, Jen- Greg Johnson, to give credit where credit is due. One yes, credit. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, a big, 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 jo- big Johnson. Okay, I just yeah. love that because it kind of, as you, as you introduced yourself, it just triggered that. And then you said something similar the other day. And you said, I mean, you, you talk about this all the time. So just talk around. <laughs> for a one track record. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's excellent. So just let's talk about that. Let's mm-hmm. start in that space. Let's talk about the fact that 
there is all this advice out there and we are being encouraged to, you know, find ourselves and believe mm. in ourselves. And, you know, this is not something new, but what is new is how do you actually do it? What's the translation? Yeah. What does that look like in real life? Yeah. So I think that's such an important, and I think that's like starting the conversation with where it does make sense to look internally before we talk about when it, when, how that can go into overdrive. Right. So I think there's two things there's sort of, and I think I even talked about this the last time we spoke, like, I think, you know, one of the things that I spent a lot of time teaching about and people, I have um, an episode on my podcast called the thought ladder is like how we can actually incrementally change our thoughts bit by bit. Right. And so I will give the like very brief process that I teach, but I think that was one of the big things that was missing to me when I came to this work was like, I was like, okay, well, if I hate my body and I look in the mirror and I'm supposed to think I'm a beautiful goddess, like I am not getting any payoff from that. Like it's, you know, I can say any sentence in my mind with human words. Like I can say to myself, the lizard king came from space and rules us all. Like I can think that, but there's no, I don't believe that. So there's no emotional connection to it. Right. It's just like saying gobbledygook in my brain. And that's what some of those like positive affirmations felt like, because they were so far from what I was experiencing. And, you know, I do think there are some people who are able, (laughs) who are like very disciplined, I guess, and can just repeat a thing they don't believe for like a year and eventually believe it. But I am not like that. I need sooner payoff. And so I really worked out like, what is the like most tiniest step thought I can think that is like a little bit better? Sometimes I joke that this comes from like being Jewish where we're just like, what would be like a tiny bit better than terrible? Like, what can we? And so like going from, I hate my body to I'm an amazing goddess. No, going from, I hate my stomach to this is a human stomach right? is like a neutral thought. I have to believe it. It's definitely true. Right. And, but it is, it doesn't feel amazing. I'm not like lit up with self-esteem when I think that, but I'm also not pushing myself further down when I think that, right. It is like bringing me, it's a little less suffering. So I teach these sort of those kinds of cognitive techniques, which I think are really important. But the other thing that I think sometimes what women do, and I see this in the coaching industry so much is in our quest to like, it's like, okay, so we come to coaching, we figure out that like we're perfectionists and we want everything to be perfect. And we think that we have to like hustle for our own worth and our own lovability. We have to be perfect to deserve, you know, anything good in the world. And so then this weird thing happens where people get coached that the solution to that is to believe that like everything that's happened is perfect because it happened for a reason. And like anything, we are perfect the way we are. And I was sort of like, that's not the only option. It's like you're collapsing it into like the only solution would be to then believe we are perfect and the world is perfect as opposed to- Like and white thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does it mean to have a relationship with yourself where you can even acknowledge when you have like acted out of alignment with your values or when you have been like being complicit in some harm? Like I'm talking into a microphone that I don't know, I'm pretty sure it wasn't manufactured by somebody who's making 50 thousand dollars a year and gets healthcare in a United States union run factory. I mean, maybe it was, but probably not. Like I'm complicit in all these huge social systems of oppression and I'm doing my work on them, but how can I have a relationship with myself where I don't have to pretend the world is perfect or believe I'm perfect in order to still have my own back and have a positive relationship with myself. And like, that is the thing I'm obsessed with teaching right now, because I see so many women who are coming through the coaching industry And it's like what they've been fed is this just a different form of black and white thinking that like feels better, but is actually not open to complexity and nuance. I absolutely 100% agree with you. And it's kind of, it's it's really fun to take it from a different angle because I come from the sort of neuroscientific, clinical Mm. neuroscience and all that stuff. Mind bodies, but it's the same message. It's it's this whole message. We we have to realize that we're human and that it's okay to, it's it's like Thomas Edison said, it's not that I've failed. It's, I've learned a thousand things that don't work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, are we able to, or confident enough to embrace that messiness and actually do something with that and see it's okay. It's okay to right. not, you know, to have made these mistakes as long as you don't stay there. So we're not talking about staying there obsessively. We're not talking about f- trying to convince ourselves that we are the goddess. We are actually being very realistic about what does that mean in our life 
and how can we actually change that? So you're talking about the whole positive affirmation thing. You're quite right. I mean, for years, it's, it's, it's shifted from oppression to the other side, swung to the other side of, okay, you're amazing, and to say all these positive affirmations and a large part of that, you know, just write it down and believe it and it's going to happen and the secret law of attraction. <laughs> I mean, this is the most unscientific stuff and only a few people really, it can put people in a tremendous place of condemnation. What's wrong with me yeah. as an individual? And, you know, what have I done wrong? And I'm doing something wrong. Meanwhile, it's not that you've done something wrong. It's just that there's this massive gap in between. As you say, there's a whole lot of little steps in between. And why is that only that way of doing it the only way? And then coming to affirmations, the cognitive dissonance that occurs. You you cannot, I can tell you as a, as a neuroscientist, there is no ways that you can stand up there and say, even if it's for a year, that I am a goddess and believe that you basically are going to, because it's cognitive dissonance, because the truth is that you believe one thing, I think you saw my little toxic trees, that thought oh. of how you see yourself is there. Mm-hmm. So no matter how many times I try and replace it with I am the goddess, <laughs> this is still there. So what we right. have to do is we have to embrace that and reconceptualize that. We have to deconstruct yeah. that. And we have to then say, okay, well, what's a realistic version? And that takes time. So the other thing that I loved what you said is the time it takes, the teeny little steps in between. And that's where you can cannot rewire your mind-brain connection in mm. these little positive affirmation daily statements or a quick fix or these five steps and follow the mold of this person or I'll write it down and believe it, it's going to come to me. It is cycles of time. And that's where I've done research showing it's cycles of 63 days, which I think we spoke about before mm-hmm. to build, to automatize something. And it may be multiple. You may need, I mean, I've had some patients that took two, three years before they felt that they had this crushing whatever um, that you know, destroyed how they were functioning, move into something that was more positive. So I'm just saying That's the science so behind what you... right? Because like people yeah. don't talk about how long it can take. And so I think people get fed up and they think it's not working and they hop to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And if you had just stuck with that process in the beginning, at the end of three years, you'd be somewhere as opposed to like, well, first I tried this and then I get that and then I tried that and then I tried that because like nothing is delivering that quick fix. And I think that like, that expectation that it's supposed to be like, I have somebody in my life right now who sort of has like, is going through these phases where like they, you know, were sort of like begrudgingly getting, doing some self-awareness work or going to therapy. And then they actually had like a huge up-leveling where they got the kind of magic of it. We're like, oh my God, I actually understand what's happening. Whoa, things are making connections. And then the next day they had like a whole crash of like, wait, but then I'll have to give up who I am. And I don't know if I want to do that. And like all this normal resistance came up and like, that's all normal and part of the process, right? It's not, so, but like we are sold this journey. That's like, you just get more and more spiritually evolved as you go, right? Like enlightenment is like the smooth path. That's going to be like, can be fast and easy. And I think, again, that's that same like perfectionism and inability to have any negative emotion or like tolerate any distress or like it's normal. You know, those, like all those images are really true. Like the squiggly, you know, you think it's going to be a straight line and it's a squiggly line or like, yeah, the one I always like is I actually have always loved it's like an elliptical loop image. That's what I always think about. Cause it is like, you go forward and then you got to go back and then you go forward over time. You're getting at, you're moving forward. You are making progress. But I think that point about like 63 days is like bare minimum. If you're super lucky with that one exactly, time, like- exactly. <laughs> We all know that sleep is so important for our mental and physical health. It helps clean up the brain and get us ready for the next day so we can give our best at home, school or work. However, getting a good night's rest can be a challenge. This is why I love Ned's best-selling sleep blend, which new and improved recipe offers an even greater night's sleep. Ned remains committed to making all of their products more simple and effective and they've done just that with their new sleep blend. This new formulation blends CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep, with 700 milligrams of USDA certified organic CBD from the purest single-source hemp flower extracts and organic and wild-crafted botanicals traditionally used for sleep. The new sleep blend has 24% more sleep-inducing botanicals by weight than the previous version, and it's Ned's birthday month. If you'd like to give their new and improved sleep blend a try, Cleaning up the mental mess listeners get 21% off with the code Dr. Leaf for the month of March only. It's their best offer of the year. Visit helloned.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Dr. Leaf to get 21% off. The link and details will be in the show notes. 
Cora, I'll have people who say to me, oh my gosh, I can't even think in, in 63 days. I can think in five days. So, okay, well, that's fine. Let's think in five days, but yeah. let's see where you're at. If you stop after five days, the work you've done for five days pretty much converts to heat energy right. in your brain. So you have a vague memory of maybe I was there, but now you feel worse about yourself because, oh, I did that, but it didn't mm-hmm. work. But did it not work? You know, on the other side as well is we get something called the treatment effect. And and I, I showed in, in, in the cycles that we go through in rewiring the mind-brain connection, you get this peak around 21 days. And as you build from mm. day five, there's certain days. That's like 4, 7, 14, 21, 42, 63. There's certain points where these things happen. And day five is where the emotions tend to go like, hey, why we sort of, oh, mm. this is too much. I can't do this. And it's often there where people will stop. Then mm-hmm. they get to like day 14, for example, where it's, okay, things are now flying. I've got this. I'm fine. But they haven't stabilized anything. And then they get to day 21 and between 14 and 21, there's generally a lot of revelation that's very overwhelming. So people mm-hmm. have that massive dip, the, you know, that cycle going backwards, you know, mm-hmm. and that's when people think. And so I've had people like in my clinical trials and things saying things like, oh, gosh, I got worse. Mm-hmm. I got more depressed as I went through learning how to manage my mind in these little tiny steps. But the, mm-hmm. the but the difference was because they understood it. They said it was okay. It was a it was a worse depression and anxiety. But it wasn't that I am depressed or I've got this Ill- emotional illness. You know, emotions are not illnesses. They are messengers. They said it's different. I'm mm-hmm. actually feeling depressed because of. So it's progress, and that's key. It's and yeah. that's what you were saying there as well. That that seeming dip. It still means you shifted, but we mm-hmm. see that dip and think, oh gosh, we did those five steps. I'm not where that person is on the stage or wherever. Yeah. You know, the, the person out there who's saying all these wonderful things, which is, you know, they're also going through their dips, but they don't always tell you about them. The, but, you know, you've, you, you haven't gone backwards because every step is progress forward. Right. No, yeah. I mean, I, that's so important because part of it is like when we're like, I think that that attitude of like, I, you know, it has to be always moving forward is exactly because we like don't have this compassionate relationship with ourselves or we can like look at it from the outside and be like, yeah, of course, of course it's normal that like, if you start changing a bunch of stuff that you've relied on, you're going to have resistance. You're going to feel worried about it or whatever. Like we're so we're, I think when we're in that, when we're in like the rush to quote unquote, get better or the rush to change, right. It's because we think like, we think it'll be better there. Once I fix my mind, then I won't have to feel human negative emotion. I'll never feel bad about myself. And like it's just that's, starting. <laughs> yeah. No one is living long enough to get to that. Maybe, maybe if we were immortal, our brains would get there, but I still doubt it. So I think that that like the sort of the constant like monitoring of our progress also, right. Is this sort of very like, I don't know. There's like something, it feels like industrially about it. It's like efficient. We're like, we're like efficiency consultants or something as opposed yeah, to like neoliberalism. I mean, it's the whole thing. Yeah. It's, you've got to be productive. You've got to be, right. so, you've got to be like producing your change on a regular consistent schedule, as opposed to like, you're an animal with like a very big brain trying to make sense of the world. And like, it's not going to always be a smooth ride. And can you have like, can you pull back? And I think, you know, for some people they are able to do that with meditation is effective for some people they do like you know different forms of like self-inquiry or inquiry with a practitioner but like whatever model you're using because a lot of them I think are doing the same thing it's just like getting some perspective on like oh well what would I say to like when a kid learns a new task they're not like oh I learned to tie my shoes perfectly easily and consistently and I didn't get frustrated at all and it wasn't hard and I didn't ever like screw it up and give up like you when a child is having trouble you wouldn't scream at them like you're so fucking stupid. You got to get better at this right now. But like, that's how we talk to ourselves. Exactly. That self, that self critique is, is really harsh. And it's because you've got this distorted, I think, perception of, you know, what, what success looks like when success, yeah. I always get asked that question. I'm sure you do too. And I'm interviewed. What does success look like? I said, it's having the peace inside yourself to deal with the ups and downs. So if I'm feeling like I'm having a bad day or something's not working in the business or a relationship, you know, one of those dives, I don't see it as going backward. I see it as going forward. So mm-hmm. I can accept that. And, and I think when, we when we get to the point where we can accept that sense of peace that we can accept you know that that we can move forward into resilience and that's another Mm -hmm. thing that i've been working resilience is such a popular word so if we really look at what resilience is we've kind of been sold this philosophy that if you have five traits these are the traits of resilience people Mm -hmm. or seven traits or 12 traits or whatever and what's super interesting about the resilience research and it goes to the whole sort of wired for love survival nature that we have as humans to get through stuff we see that people are a lot more resilient than what they are 
told in this current day and age, we'll be told that we're so weak, we can't cope, we just, you need all this help, you, every emotion is like you've got problems. Meanwhile, that's just embrace it, find the message and move through it. As hard as it is, that does grow you. And so what's super interesting about resilience is that if you may get through something and you can go and analyze, okay, I got through this because of X, Y, and Z, and you learn from that, but now comes now the next struggle comes along and the opposite of those actually work. You know, mm-hmm. those, those traits, yeah. you need to do something sometimes different. Sometimes you need to push and sometimes you need to rest. Sometimes you need to like, it's not one, but we like, we all want there to be one answer. That's like, you know, I always have to do this or I always have to do that. And I, I think this is like one of the things people are often like, oh, you know, there's so many coaches or there's like, isn't it, you know, why, why do we need so many? Or isn't, aren't there, you know, aren't people all doing the same thing or whatever? And I'm like, people just need totally different approaches. Like when, you know, everybody is coming from a different place and like what works amazingly for someone else might not work for you. So like, I mean, the, you know, my teacher, I feel like taught a lot, teaches a lot on like, you got to like get up and get moving and like work hard and all stuff, which is really necessary for people who have been like sitting in kind of like, you know, I can't do anything. I'm not capable. Like I've never tried. But then I started to notice like in my students, I was like, whoa, you people need to slow down and like take a nap. Like, cause you are like, you attract, you know, I attracted people like, you who are, like <laughs> yeah, highly educated overachievers, like you know, who are constantly like striving and doing things and doing things. And their problem is they have to learn like the doing of the things will not bring you peace, will not like make you like yourself, will not like whatever. So when people ask me how I like, when I'm defining success, when I'm coaching somebody around this stuff, I am like, if you are nice to yourself, that is literally all I care about. Because in my, like, it's because it's, and it's not self-referential. What people fear is like, if they're nice to themselves, they'll just do nothing, feel good about it, never help anyone else and like sit on the couch. And that's not what happens, right? Which we could talk about. But for me, like, I would much rather that you never do any more thought work again. Don't do anything else I teach, but be nice to yourself about not having done it. Then like follow everything I teach and beat yourself up the whole time for not doing it well enough. Like that is... No, that's brilliant. That's absolutely critical it's like that whole thing of you know if you look at what kindness does to you you know just being kind it's the same thing it's being kind to yourself yeah. it's like the first thing that i used to say that to my patients all the time and, and over the years in just what i do it i, I don't coach people directly because it's more indirect but it's yeah. a comment that i make often it starts and there's a few people i work with individually but there's the 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 first thing i always also say is that listen kindness to yourself changes your neural structures it changes your mind brain body it changes how you and you you can't you, if you're not kind to yourself, you're actually going to be mean to other people and totally. you're going to be reactive and you're going to be, so it's not self-preoccupation. You and I are not telling people to become self-preoccupied because that actually is, as I mentioned already, is When you're nice to yourself, you think a lot less about yourself. I'm always you like busting humble. this bubble. Yes, thank you, people thank you, thank arrogant, you. Arrogant, right? And I'm like, who thinks more about, who thinks the most about themselves? Someone extremely self-loathing. Because when you're self-loathing, you're constantly taking inventory of all the shit that's wrong with you and what's not good about you and like, everything you experience, you relate back to what's wrong with you. People who actually like themselves, like think about, you know, I have a friend I love. I don't like sit around thinking all day about her, but when you hate someone, you're really preoccupied with them and you ruminate on them all the time. And like the same thing's true with yourself. Exactly. That's such a good point because it's really is like that you, and, and when you look at all those things that you hate about yourself, it can manifest as trying to, you know, you take the opposite and think, well, if I boast about that, if I get people mm-hmm. to like me, if I, you know, so someone who's trying right. so hard to be the, they don't have that sense of kindness and and, and, be, and being nice to yourself. So yeah. I totally agree that that is a starting point. And I, and, and I love how you said it actually makes you less, what, I don't know what your word was, but it, it's in the region of humility. Because I always say the test of not being self-preoccupied is humility. So mm-hmm. if you are... If you are loving yourself and being kind to yourself, your, your humility increases and you just become a much nicer person to be around versus if you're self-preoccupied, humility goes, you get, you get arrogant yeah. in as I think a, as a we coping have to like mechanism. We really explain what humility is, right? Because women and people of color and people in marginalized identities are so socialized to be humble, which I think is different. Yeah. Like I think, Let's define it. Thank yeah, you. In this Let's context, define the difference. Yeah. Like I, women often will shit on themselves and call that being humble. Right. Which is like, like saying negative. That's not what humble, right. Humility means like, to me, I think of it as almost just like curiosity. It just means like thinking that for me, like, I don't, you know, we're, that we're all of equal worth and value that I don't need to be above anyone else. And I'm not below anyone else. No one else is above me either in worth or value. And I don't need to, like, I think to me, humility involves curiosity because I think of it in terms often of just being like, 
not assuming you need to know, not assuming you know everything, not feeling like you're supposed to know everything, not feeling like your ego or worth is dependent on you knowing and being the best and all of these things. So you just are much more like, what's happening outside of me? Like what? I don't always have the answer. I don't always know. I don't have to be the best at everything. I'm also not the worst at everything. It just is this sort of like much more kind of, I think, neutral vantage point on the world. But people think that it's like arrogance is up here thinking you're amazing. And then humility is down here thinking you're terrible or like you're sort of, you know, so I always want to just qualify it because I don't want people listening, especially if they live in kind of marginalized identities where they're told to be humble, to hear it and be like, okay, good. Yeah. So I am terrible and bad. And that's me being humble, which oh is Oh my good gosh. Thing. I'm, so, yeah, I'm <laughs> so glad that you defined that because it's so true because humility is definitely not that. Humility is the ability yeah. to recognize that no one's, no one's my competition because I myself am enough. And if I support someone else and I get excited about someone else, I'm actually enhancing myself. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't detract from me. It's actually enhancing me. So it's being excited and not threatened by others. And it's being, and it's rejoicing in oneself to the point yeah. where you get excited about others and about taking whatever it is that you bring to the world and lifting others as well as yourself. So it's definitely not you shooting yourself in the foot and I'm so terrible and I'm so bad and all that stuff. It's yeah, awful I think that the so word many- you. Yeah, humility is being just, no, no, go ahead. This happens every time we chat. We're like, I know, we get so excited. I know, we like stimulate each other. I love it. So many women will like tell you these really self critical thoughts and then they just, but they don't even know that they're self criticism. They just think that they're accurately reporting their personality to you, right? Or like being, being humble or like being realistic about themselves. And so all of that stuff can get so torqued. Like to me, it's, when you believe that everyone is equally worthy and that your worth is not tied to your accomplishment or your appearance or whatever else, then like all the rest of it relaxes, right? It doesn't really matter if like they're better at tennis than you or they, your sister-in-law makes more money or like whatever. You can just, enjoy that. You can enjoy yeah. it for them because I mean, a, bit, a little brain t- tip here is that as soon as you celebrate your sister-in-law making more money or that tennis player who plays better than you or whatever you actually enhance your own brain health and your own intelligence increases. And no one's telling people that except probably you and I and maybe a few (laughs) other people. But it really does you as a person become much healthier mentally and physically. And, you know, so that's like a really good thing. But we we are in a world that's all about competition. And I'm not anti-competition when it's done correctly. Competition should be more a growth process as opposed to putting someone down so that you can be better. It's like inspiration versus competition. Like, I always see in my students, like I get more excited about my, like, you know, when I have, let's say coaches who are working in their business and like their thought process. And I don't, you know, I don't only coach coaches, only teach coaches. I just use this example because it it often strikes me. Like they'll get their first client or make their first $10,000 or whatever. And I'm, they're like shitting on themselves. And I'm like, that's amazing. Think about how much money that, like, I'm so excited for them. And I actually think that's part of why I have been able to create what I've created is that like I worked on being excited for myself and now like I get excited for everybody else. But it's so interesting. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me to see that like genuinely I am more excited about their $10,000 than they are because they're just going, well, I was trying to make 20 or I was trying to make a hundred or I haven't gotten there yet or so-and-so from my class is doing this. Right. Whereas I'm like, the way you're going to get there is by being excited about this. It's in any area of your life, right? If you are dating the way you are going to get to the great relationship you want is being by being excited about the dates. Even if you decide not to see the person again, even if they're not the right match, it doesn't mean like just literally date the first person who comes along, but like enjoying and being excited about and looking for the good in the process is how you make yourself better at dating and make it more enjoyable and make yourself better able to connect to people. And that's how you build up to get that relationship you want. Like shitting on the process in yourself, like you just, it's very hard to find a great relationship when all of your thoughts are, I'm bad and terrible and nobody wants me and dating is horrible and I hate all these people. And that is what's going to come out because that's what's wired into your brain, into every cell of your body. It's in your mind, your gravitational field. So you go into that date and that's what pours out. So you're smiling and talking, but what's coming at that person is this contradictory vibe. And that's what, you know, nonverbal communication is 50%. But how we are, what we are thinking is generating 100% impact on that other person. And it kind of counters what you're actually physically saying and messes up the whole thing. So it is being as authentic as possible. And that doesn't mean pouring your heart out to every single person on Instagram. It means really being honest with yourself. Authenticity starts with you being honest with yourself and facing those 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 issues. And that that's linked to the humility thing because it actually links to self-confidence. 
as totally. opposed to self-esteem. I definitely and- found like when I was, before I met my current partner, when I had done a lot, but I'd done, when I was doing all this work on dating, by the end, I would go on dates and like the other person at the end would be very confused if I was like, well, this was great, but no, thank you. Cause I had been so not in a leading on way, but I had just been myself, but actually happy and charming and excited about it. Cause I was doing that on purpose. And then, you know, like it was like, they were surprised because people think that it's the other person, but it's not the other person. It's you, like you have to bring that energy into it and you won't. And when you are thinking in that way that we're describing, you also can't see, like if your idea about dating is that's horrible and doesn't work, then when somebody who actually likes you and is available comes along, you literally won't even be able to perceive it because your thought is that it doesn't work and it's not possible. Exactly. I've actually got a little a little demo here that demonstrates it. That just, I love all like, these props. <laughs> I'm always doing things like that. Look, there, there's there's the, the I hate dating. So you're stuck mm-hmm. in that cup. But if you're not going to oh. get this out of here, if you put it in the big jar, I've got perspective. And that's what you're saying. You know, take, go to enhancement versus competition or versus self-hate. You know, that you've got space. You can see things. You've got perspective. So yeah. that's kind of how I see we create the space around us too. So if we love ourselves in the not in that self-preoccupied sense, but in the yeah. sense that we're describing, there is a perspective that we can look at things with enjoyment, we can look at things differently. Yeah. That you, know, you get that kind of space there, which is amazing. You talk a lot and you, you mentioned that that in the beginning from your background with in, in your the legal side and so on. You spoke about and this is something that I know we spoke about last time, but it bears it bears repeating because it goes to how women are so harsh and critical on themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is the social norms of what a woman should be and how that's been so wired into society, mm-hmm. you know, black and white and just, you know, women in general. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I know you're a big voice around that. Yeah. So I think that sort of when I came into coaching, I felt like there was a lot of discussion about how, I sort of think this is obviously extremely overly simplified, but it's just sort of help people think about the different levels. Like I felt like sort of, you know, traditional talk therapy, especially that's where we get this idea, which I think is often true that like your early family experiences, your early childhood experiences, right? Impact how you think, how your nervous system is wired, et cetera. Totally true. Then we have coaching was very like, at least the kind of coaching that I liked (laughs) was like very, was focused on evolutionary biology, which again, like can get overplayed. And also there's some truth to it. It is useful to understand like when your nervous system is being startled, when you're having a threat response, fight or fight, all of that is useful. But what it felt like was, so there was this, like, there's like your, there was like nature nurture sort of, but then there wasn't like social nurture, which is not just, and obviously some of the stuff, some of the ways that some of the things your society believes about people will come in through your family. Like you'll get some of it there, but that's not the only place, right? So if you grow up in a society in which men are considered smarter than women on general, on average in a social stereotype, you're not just getting that from your family and your brain is developing beyond just what your family impact is on it and just what biology impact is on it, you are also absorbing messages constantly, right? Explicit and implicit. So, and I think that's part of what's hard for a lot of even younger feminists sometimes to see is like, or to understand how it would impact their brains. Like I didn't grow up in a family where I was told that men were smarter than women. Like I grew up in a Jewish family, very focused on education. Like I was expected to have an amazing career and for to prioritize that. So But that doesn't matter. I mean, it's not that that doesn't matter. That was helpful, but I'm still living in a world where like most of the CEOs are men and most of the people in the government are men and most of the the brilliant minds on TV are men. And, you know, we're having like movies about, you know, men who, who win Nobel prizes in mathematics and not women. Like we're just getting all that messaging. Right. And so I think that some people were not are not even thinking of or aware of that. And so bringing that into awareness is important. Some people are aware that that's happening. So I came into it as somebody who was very aware of systems of oppression. And by systems of oppression, I just mean a social system in which one group has benefits over another group, right? Or has more power over another group. I was very aware of that. But awareness was not changing my thought process, right? And I think that's because what happens is if like, if what happened was that you woke up every morning and you heard like a male announcer voice in your head be like, women are only worth what they look like. You would be like, that's, you would relate to it as an intrusive external thing you didn't want to agree with. That's not what happens. What happens is you get up and you look in the mirror and you think, Oh, I look bloated. I don't look good today. Now I don't feel confident. I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not good. Maybe I shouldn't go on this date. They're not going to let you know, right? Like it is all, it's like you're, I mean, it doesn't literally metabolize it obviously, but like as a metaphor, it's like your brain metabolizes all that input. And then it comes out in your own voice, 
So you just think it's true and you just think it's realistic or you just think it's because of your family or whatever else. And so to me, I think like the important piece that had been missing was how do we learn to identify when socialization is impacting our thought process? And then how do we learn to change those thoughts? And sometimes it is, I mean, it's always baby step to thought work, but like sometimes it is the personal stuff you learn from your family, or it's like learning to soothe your nervous system, which is kind of a biological issue. But sometimes it's like, oh shit, I see that like, even though I would never consciously say I believe a woman's appearance is the most important thing about her. I notice that as I'm getting older, I've started thinking that I'm not important anymore. Like now I got to change that thought. So that is really the core of my work is like, how do we identify that socialization? It's very sneaky because it just sounds like our voice. And it sounds like believing what, like one of the most insidious ways that oppression works on us mentally is, and this like is such a like, this is that intersection between coaching and like changing the world work. When, so like patriarchy tells us, let's say, you know, it's that women are not good enough. It's harder to get ahead as a woman. And then when we recognize that like the social structures may be that it's harder to get ahead in certain fields as a woman, then we think that to believe we can do it or to tell someone they can do it is being in denial of the social reality. So we get into this weird space where we don't recognize that like, yes, the oppressive system has created some unfairness and we can recognize that that unfairness exists. But when we let that unfairness dictate what we think we can accomplish or who we can become, we are actually doing the system's work for it, right? You are doing the oppressor's work for the oppressor when you internalize that and believe that. And like, that was the nuance that I felt like was missing. It's not, I do not, my brand of coaching is not, the world is perfect. My brand of coach, I mean, again, like, you know, my grandparents' generation was in the Holocaust. I'm not like, that was great. Perfect. It's, and you know, Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor and wrote that book, Man's Search for Meaning is like one of my biggest coaching inspirations because it's like, this is not frivolous stuff. This is the world is unfair and unequal. There are amazing, beautiful things in the world and there are horrible things in the world. And how are we as people, as humans trying to get through this world going to show up to yeah acknowledge reality? I'm not like, well, if you jump out a window and you believe you can fly, then you will, if you just manifest it, like gravity exists. But how are we going to create that resilience you're talking about? How are we going to create that flexibility? How are we going to create that emotional center inside of us so that we can navigate it? And if we just accept, like recognizing systems of oppression is important, but then sometimes as a former social justice professional, that goes to a black and white extreme place too, of like, we're all powerless, like complete structuralism. We're all powerless. Nobody, nothing, any, nobody can do anything about anything on an individual level, right? It's basically like it's revolution or bust. That's it. Like we got to get everybody total solidarity for a revolution or nothing will change. And to me, that's not true either. So I, now I just went on like a 10 minute tirade, but this is- No, no, it's excellent. Is. It's excellent. And, and my brain's going click, 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 click. And I can see like five yes, hours of conversations coming things. over here. So no, what you said there is just absolutely, it's fabulous and it's so relevant. And from the top, just taking it from the top and then going down, yeah. when you talk about how our societal immersion has has created this these net these these thought patterns, we don't even realize that they're in us. And mm-hmm. what you try and do is try and say, okay, why do you believe that? Where is that actually coming from? So this is where you know our work crosses over so well. So from a neuroscientific side, is that if you bathed in that immersion as a child in a family, then in culture, then in a society that's telling you this and X, Y, and Z about being a woman or X, Y, and Z about being black versus white, et cetera, et cetera, all the different things that we that we can talk about, you and you're hearing that all the time, as it's every experience that you have is being processed by your mind into your brain and your body. So in three places. Mm-hmm. And there's the integration of the neurophysiology and the mind and stuff. So the mind is the process. And the mind is how we grab at our aliveness, what we think, feel, choose, etc. How we have this conversation. If you did, you can't do this. So the mind is the thing that's doing the stuff. Then the mind uses the brain to actually then wire that in. And then, the, then that also changes the cytoskeleton and DNA of every cell. So our conversation now is in 37 million to 100 trillion, 37 to 100 trillion cells, which is mind blowing. And it's yeah. a little, and it's on dendrites in the brain. And then as we process this more and more, how we talk about this, you and I post this conversation 
is coming from what we built in this in this discussion. In other words, as humans, we process that message into the brain and the body and the mind. It's a gravitational field in the mind, a tree, in, like a little dendrite tree Wait, in the can brain. Can I pause you and ask for more discussion about this, especially because especially if we share this with my audience? What can you tell us about how you're talking about? Like, what is the mind versus the brain? Because I think my people will hear that as the same. So yes, let's start there that. because that is, and that's also a current issue from the last sort of probably 60, 70 years, where especially mm-hmm. the last 40, where mind has been, since, since the 90s, when the brain has become such a thing, not that it wasn't before, but now we can see inside the brain. And that <laughs> Nobody kind of even stuff. had a brain until 1975. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But instead of saying that the brain made me do it, or all thought comes from the brain, which is the languaging that we get the most of today, it's the other way around. If you did, you can do nothing. But you and I, our brains are going 10 to the dozen now. We are, have got firing up in our brain. We've got neurochemical reactions. We've got mm-hmm. genetic action. We've got electromagnetic quantum. Because we're alive and because we're sharing, and, and the audience is going through the same thing. So the mind is the thing that's making the brain do stuff. Um, the mind uses the brain to be able to, for you to be able to be Cara and me, for me to be Caroline. Where does the mind exist? Is it not neural networks? No, the neural networks are what the mind uses. So if you did, okay. there's no mind in that brain. That brain's doing nothing. But as we are speaking now, and if I had to link you up to various different brain technology, we would see a response in the brain. So the brain mm-hmm. is the physical substrate that the mind shows okay. up in. So it takes the experience, this conversation, and that's a gravitational field, it's quantum physics, it's electromagnetics, it's photons, it's all kinds of stuff. And that then shows up in the brain. The brain then responds on an electromagnetic, quantum and genetic level. And this information is converted into vibrations inside proteins, which cluster together to form tree-like structures. Okay, we may have to have an entire different podcast where we just talk (laughs) about the mind and the brain. Just to talk about this. This is blowing my mind, and this is not a distinction I use in my work, so I need to learn all about this. We have to have a separate podcast about that. We, we'll, we'll definitely do that okay. because it's, it is amazing <laughs> because everything you talk, because when you were talking about saying to you when you work with people, you want them to understand that, that voice in their head, where, or, how they see themselves, where is that actually yeah. coming from? What societal, cultural influence has that come from? That's been years and years of you hearing messages from home, family, environment, church, synagogue, blah, 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 whatever, politics. And all that's been building this network in your brain. So I'm holding up a toxic-looking mm-hmm. tree. So if it's the, you know, patriarchy and you're a woman and you can't do as much as a man, you're not as intelligent, you're black, you're whatever, that messaging is wired into our brain as dendrites. Mm. And it's in every cell of our body. Because when you mm-hmm. form a memory, a memory is not just one thing. A memory is a lot of stuff. At least you and I are saying a lot of stuff. It's a lot of details. And those memories cluster together to form thoughts. So this is a thought made of lots of memories. And over mm-hmm. years, it's been established as you and I are both women. We've had years of, well, women aren't, aren't as intelligent as men. I mean, I'm a scientist in a world where I was 35 years ago. I was told, you know, they'd go and... They, they would basically, they would say, go up to my husband and say, hello, Dr. Leaf. He said, no, my wife's mm. the doctor. You know, that kind of, right. you know, I had, I have to speak up loud in, in a science discussion because it's mainly men at the table kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we all understand that, but that's years of, so all that thinking is wired into us in our brains and in our bodies and in the gravitational fields of our mind. So in three places, mind, brain, body integration. So in the, in, in the, if you imagine, you know, like if you look at a podcast and you watch the little, you know, you yeah. watch the little lines. That's kind of what it looks like in the mind. The mind's mm-hmm. all this energy through the, the brain and the body. And then the mm-hmm. brain is a physical structure and it holds this vibration in a tree-like structure. So that's the second mm-hmm. place. And then there's a change in our cytoskeleton and our DNA. That's like the bird's eye view. So that's why when we re-experience like a traumatic event or even a non-traumatic event, even something like someone said something to you and it's it's not nice, but it's not as violent as, as yeah. an abuse or something. It's you, you feel that sensation in your body. You feel overwhelmed. You feel mm-hmm. that message, you, the, 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 neuro, the nervous system evolution factor that you spoke about, running away from the line, the way it's explained so basically. What mm-hmm. it actually is is that we, because we're storing every experience in brain, mind, and body, when we recall it, we recall it main, my, brain, mind, and body. So mm-hmm. we will have a neurophysiological reaction. We will get that heart palpitation, the tension in our, our mm-hmm. shoulders, the gut, whatever, whatever. And that's why you can't just ignore that. That's a signal that something is wrong. The emotion's another signal. The Your behaviors are another signal. So all of those are coming from the tree. So mm-hmm. if a woman is in a place where she's had all these years of whatever, and now she's trying to get her own business going, or she's trying to get her life together in whatever way, these 
seem so real because they've been there for longer than 63 days. This is, she's got right. all these entrenched things that as mm-hmm. she's doing something, these are being triggered from the non-conscious dri- they're drivers. They're being driven into the conscious mind. And if we don't, aren't curious about them, so you're teaching them to be curious about, okay, you just said a statement to me that makes me think that this and this and this. Are you maybe, is that maybe what you were told as a child over and over again? Right. So then you bring this up into the conscious mind. This then physically in the brain becomes weakened. And now mm-hmm. you as a coach helping that person and that person are now looking at this oh i said that because of this my goodness that came from childhood this has been there like 50 years or 30 years or 20 years Mm -hmm. or however long this was an automatized driver very intelligent and 95 percent of our day is driven by these and these are not all bad they're not all bad there's a lot of good stuff so mm-hmm. when someone is battling with that that any kind of issue that they're needing help that they don't see the 10,000 has been great, where's that coming from? You know, mm-hmm. so we can then stand back and, and literally look and pull up the source because how I speak, the I factor, where, mm-hmm. what I say, how I show up and saying the 10,000 is not good enough, the this and that emotion that goes with it, I, I'm not, it's coming from a, well, you're a woman, you're not worthy enough, or you didn't fulfill the current model of if you don't do these five steps, well, there's something wrong with you as an individual. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no, the, the, the messaging of the last 30 years of wellness and motivation, which is you go from there to there and there's no space in between. Well, I did that. Why am I not there? Meanwhile, mm-hmm. you are showing people that, hey, there's all of these spots too. Put your show, shine your spotlight. It isn't there to there. There isn't a giant leap across a chasm. There is a, a slow growing of a, of a little pathway across the chasm to get there. That's how I see your work. So you're trying to show, and, and pretty much what I do too, is to show the, the person you get from there to there by first identifying where it came from. And mm-hmm. then slowly but surely deconstructing that and reconstructing it into something that you can live with. Now, that never goes away what you're exposed to because you talk about social justice. You talk about these things. You've experienced it as a woman. You've, you know, you, you've experienced it as, as a, in your work. You've seen it. So you know the story, but no longer does it control you. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So yeah. this is kind of what you're doing. We, we, we get, have these automatized things. Oopsie, I'm stuck in my She's tree. All, she all tangled up in the tree is a real <laughs> metaphor. We all know that what we eat can impact our mind and brain health, which is why my family always tries to look for new, tasty and interesting foods that taste great and are nutrient-dense. This is why I love Emi, the world's first low-carb, high-protein and 100% plant-based instant ramen. Each serving of Emi has 21 grams of protein, 19 grams of fiber and only 6 grams of net carbs. It's also non-GMO and is 35% lower in sodium versus traditional brands which leaves you full and satisfied without the post-Raymond bloating and thirst. It is also really convenient if you have a busy schedule like myself. Emi is super easy to prepare in the microwave or stovetop, and you can have a bowl ready in just 7 minutes. My personal favorite Emi is Tom Yum's shrimp-flavored plant-based ramen, which has been keeping me warm and satisfied this winter. Emi is also proud to offer a 100% happiness guarantee, so you can try Emi risk-free and decide for yourself if Emi is worth it. If you're not happy with your Emmy, they will offer you a full refund within 30 days of purchase. Visit emmyeats.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to try Emmy's delicious low-carb, plant-based and fiber-rich ramen. That's emmyeats.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. Can I ask you like a kind of, of course, go question for it. about this? How do you think about, so between mind, brain, body and mind being the sort of gravitational quantum field that is being expressed in the brain, I think. Yeah, that's a think. Mm -hmm. And on a psychological level, that translates as how you think, feel, and choose. So the gravitational field, energy, blah, 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 is how we think, feel, and choose, which is what we're doing with each other now. Think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose. Those three factors are Mm -hmm. moving at 400 billion actions per second through this field. So the field generates, we consciously experience that, that gravitational force, or whatever you want to call it, as our ability to think, feel, and choose in response to discussions, life experience. Okay. So when you think about what I would say, like a meditation teacher would call the watcher, or I would call like self-consciousness, the ability to watch yourself think, how does that, do you think that that is like the mind watching the brain? Or do you think that that is a function in the brain? No, the brain can do nothing without the mind. So think of a dead person, their brain's doing nothing. But think of you being alive and you are actually doing that right at the moment. So the self-watcher, what I call that is the multiple perspective advantage. So that's Mm -hmm. the ability to stand back and observe yourself. So at the core of who we are as humanity is survival and resilience. That's what we're always going to. Everything about us is to survive. 
not in a not in a not in a crude way. It's it's survival in terms of getting through struggles and it's it's embracing the struggles. It's it's not just that you know the basic stuff Wait, that so people talk brain- about. I can't. I can't tell whether I'm like under understanding this or over understanding. It's the brain. The brain is the physical object, right? Okay. And then the mind. But is it accurate to say? But you're not just saying the brain is the object and the mind is the activity in the brain because you're saying there's something bigger than that. Well, the the brain is the physical. You're quite correct. It's yeah. extremely complex and it changes all the time because every experience you have changes it. So here's the key: every experience you as Cara have is changing mm-hmm. your brain moment by moment of every single day. Right. So then what is you, Kara, experiencing life? And why is it different to me? That's your mind. So mind okay. is a big word for people will talk about spirit soul. People will okay. talk about, you know, the ancient philosophers. Mind is the most commonly used word if you go back into sort of the ancient texts and that kind of okay. thing. But it embraces our ability to connect, to communicate, to philosophize, to experience mm-hmm. life, to make decisions, to have this discussion. It's our mm-hmm. minds that are enabling us to do it. And we're simply using our brain because without my brain, I can't show up but and do you think the you. Mind, so the brain can't do anything without the mind. But the do you believe the mind can exist without the brain? That's a whole philosophical question okay, and, and okay, spiritual. So that's separate, you're saying? Yes. Okay. So I believe they're separate, but inseparable. So the in, 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 when we are alive, as we understand it, the mind has to have the brain and the body for you to be able to speak, act, do, mm-hmm. do what you do, do your podcast, do your coaching, etc. But when we die, there's so many different questions, and I can go down a whole philosophical. I, I have right. I have some theories. I do believe that the mind goes beyond us. That the that it's you know these. I do believe we have our own brain and body that's connected. I, I, there's so many um, angles that we yeah. could go down. So I do believe that it's 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 real and physical, but we don't pay enough attention to mind because mm-hmm. yet we're all talking about mind all the time. So we talk about mind as being the hard question of science, and we talk about the brain as the easy question of science because we can look at all the brain and we can look at neurons and dendrites mm-hmm. and synapses and blah. But we, when we get to mind, they start saying, okay. Well, the brain is firing and you thinking, but that's not what came first. What came first is you and I started the conversation and then we used our, our you know, with this, you had a Wait, plan. Wait, why isn't that what came first? Because if you, I always come back to this example. Mm-hmm. If you did, your brain's doing nothing. The fact right. that you're alive, your mind is enabling your, you to make 810,000 to a million cells every second. So, and those cells form every organ of your body, including the brain, and every system of your body. So we are, and the brain is changing just by us speaking. So it's never the same. In mm-hmm. From moment to moment, it's constantly changing. And as we're having this experience, we're pulling up existing thought with all their memories that are related to this conversation. So there's a tremendous amount of activity happening between the non-conscious mind and the conscious mind. Mm-hmm. So the mind as an entity has a conscious, subconscious, and non-conscious, not mm-hmm. unconscious. Unconscious is when you sleep, or when you're knocked out, or even anesthetic or something. So it's a, that's more of a state, a physical state that the brain goes into. Because mind actually never stops. Mm-hmm. You know, your brain will rest physically, and your body will rest physically, and your conscious mind will rest physically mm-hmm. when you're sleeping or you're knocked out, or when, you, you know, when you're sleeping and you're resting. The non-conscious mind never stops. And the non-conscious mind has, is this ability that we have to stand back and observe your own thinking. You as a coach are Mm. are modeling that process for an individual. Okay. So we can coach ourselves as well as coaching others. So the model of that watcher, the self-regulator, what I call yeah. the wise mind monitoring the messy mind, these, the, the, those sort of stages, the core of who you are is, is wisdom, is survival, is resilience. And we can, as we say something, we can then self-correct. We can say, oh gosh, I said the wrong thing. That really hurt that person. Or that was really a dumb decision. Okay, how can I self-correct? And that's what you kind of showing someone when you're coaching someone mm-hmm. you are guiding them as a therapist whatever coach we are at the different levels guiding people to do what we can do instinctively and we do it ourselves mm-hmm. like your friends come to you and they say hey Cara this and this and this happened and you stand back and you give them advice people will come to me but we can do that for ourselves too but we've got to train ourselves to do that because we don't always recognize and then you tap into the core of mind because mind is, is, is basically your wisdom, your ability to have this peace and resilience, etc. But it's covered by, think of a huge forest. And in the middle of the forest is this beautiful strip that's exquisite. It's duck perfect. But mm-hmm. on the outside are all these trees of different sizes and there's a mixture of these plus pretty ones. And these are the kind of, some are really big, so really toxic experiences to the level of traumas. 
And then there's others that are just the day-to-day struggles. And what we, that's the messy forest. And mm-hmm. what we have to do is, is get, and that's what you're helping someone do with coaching. You, and that's all mind. Okay. And, the, and those, those trees were built with mind and are in the, Non-conscious, I mean, sorry, in the, in the mind as these fields, gravitational fields, and in the brain as these dendrite protein structures and as mm-hmm. changes in our DNA. So there's a physical interaction. And then you show, and then that's how you show up. What you say and what you do is coming from this interaction of the three. Mm-hmm. So now when I talk about resilience and wise mind, or you mentioned the watcher or being able to self, self-regulate, the things you're teaching your clients in coaching is going in the middle of the forest where you are tapping into that inner, Humility, sense of peace. This is who I am. I'm okay with this. Being kind to myself, being gentle with myself. All of that's taking them into that part of you that is, hey, I'm okay. But mm-hmm. as I go through life, bad things happen, messy things happen. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do the wrong thing. And that's okay. What? Where does that come from? What was that response coming from? And mm-hmm. is it an ingrained cultural norm, societal thing that shouldn't be there? In which case, well, let's deconstruct and let's reconstruct. You know, that's all, everything I've just said is us moving from our wise mind, monitoring our messy mind, telling us it's okay because that's not who you are. It's how you're showing up because of, Mm -hmm. and then reconstructing. And that's how I see coaching therapy, Mm -hmm. you know, and you do it in different levels. Like someone who's in an extreme state of trauma, you're going to go through that. They they don't feel like they can make any decisions. So there's a lot of guidance and handholding to where you're coaching. It's more guiding a person in a collaborative effort and so on. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. I know we're almost at an hour. I was just like, I have so many questions about the mind-body, mind-brain situation. Well, we, we can do another podcast around this. I think we yeah, should. Yeah, we'll have because, to do a whole other, a whole other conversation. Because I love your, you know, your examples of the social thing. That's, that's where mm-hmm. I brought this whole thing up. Because the, those things about what women have been told that they are, that's a bunch of this that we've heard for too long. And, right. you know, we, we, those are being triggered, but we haven't questioned them because they feel so much part of us. And yet, if they are producing this, this feeling of, hey, this, something's wrong here. You know, I'm being held back, which is the conversation we are having in this day and age. Then we need to go back and restructure. And that is a combination of me learning how to deal with what society's done to me, as well as then, and this goes to the point you made earlier on, which is I've come full circle coming, coming back to that point, is how do we translate that into the greater societal yeah. good? So you said people, we've either got to have a revolution or nothing. But actually, and you said actually, you said something that is so true and close to my heart, which triggered this whole discussion, which is it starts with us being kind to ourselves. It starts with us understanding why we are thinking in that way. How can we work on ourselves? And in that way, naturally, we're going to pour out into society. And then you get a groundswell forming, which is what's happened. Look at the difference with women's rights now versus in the 50s. Mm-hmm. It's taken a long time and it's still got a long way to go. But the groundswell did shift the thing. And, you know, racism, it's still got a long way to go, but there is a shift. And so it does take the individual to take, make the societal change. That's how, if I read you correctly, I think that's what you're saying. Work on yourself at the same time as also making sure you translate that growth in you back into society. Any social change has to come from a human mind, right? So it doesn't make any sense. It's like a totally false separation to say that you can, you somehow should like, at, you know, we can only imagine a world currently with the brains that we have. And if our brains are completely infiltrated with the social messaging that we don't want to replicate, then it's going to be very challenging to see the world in a new way, right? The more that we free ourselves of the messages that we've absorbed, the more we can unlock, I think, different creative ways of seeing and solving problems. And that's what social change is all about. And that's what that does. So we see what's locked us in and we reconceptualize it to deconstruct and reconstruct to what would work forward. And as we grow that it has a very quick effect. So that, that's the good That's the good side because it sounds so hopeless because how can me as one person or you as one person or the people's lives you touch and the people's lives I touch, how can we change thousands of years of, of wrong treatment of women, for example? But it boom, the, because it's coming from the right space, which is that middle of the forest, which is the natural humanity of us is to survive and to love and to share. And it's actually quicker to grow the healthy than it is to. So once the good starts, it, it goes like a wildfire quicker than the negative, even though we don't feel that. Once you get the good stuff going, it is it does have a wildfire effect. Yeah. And also, I just think people have no idea what they're actually capable of. I mean, we look at people who have changed the world. And we think that they're extraordinary and different from us. They're different from us in some way, but a lot of what's different about them is just their thoughts about what's possible and what kind of impact they can have. 
Each and every one of us is extraordinary, and that's not your motivational, you can do it, Nike kind of message. It is much more realistic in that there is something that you can do that no one else can do. And it is extraordinary. And it's very enhancing. And if we can try and lift that up, and it starts with what you said right in the beginning, being being nice to yourself, being gentle and kind. And that starts with you then being able to, okay, this is where this has come from. How can I say that differently? So you shift, and then your shift affects your circle. And then that circle keeps growing bigger and bigger, and, and, it, and the change happens. I don't know. That's that was like the beautiful, the beautiful conclusion. Yes, the beautiful 100%. conclusion for part part two, but part three, four, five, six, probably part a hundred coming, coming up. Yeah, <laughs> Still coming. So watch this space. Cora, this has been amazing. I love talking to you. So let's do Me this too. again soon. And thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah. Easiest thing is just go wherever you're listening to this podcast, go find the Unfuck Your Brain podcast. Or if you're watching this somewhere, on YouTube or wherever else, it's likely that we've got the podcast up there too, or you can go to unfuckyourbrain.com. Very easy to remember. Thank you so much and watch the space. We'll be back again, the two of us, to take these (laughs) things even deeper. (laughs) Thanks so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.